0: Hello and welcome to the Reverend Hunter podcast. This is Tony Jones, the Reverend Hunter. Joined as always by the Jiminy Cricket to my Pinocchio, Brandon. <laughs> I feel like I'm the lead in this one then. <laughs> oh, you think? Because you have a top hat? That makes you special?
1: I mean, a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm not the guy lying with a nose growing, so. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's true. Pinocchio is kind of an anti-hero. I, guess I know, could yeah. Say. How you doing, man? Well, Brand- Brandon. Uh, I'm cleaning up after, uh, my final high school grad party for my last kid. And, uh, a lot of solo cups in my backyard. We'll just put it that way.
1: Doesn't sound as bittersweet as it should.
0: <laughs> they were playing water pong, I'm sure.
1: Oh well, yeah, uh, for sure.
0: He's, uh, kids <laughs> <too>. <laughs> no, Aiden's a great kid and it was, it was, I was happy to host the party, but today is the. Looks like a World War II battlefield in my backyard, so <laughs> we need to bury the dead bodies and move on with our lives. And correct me if I'm wrong, is uh, Aiden
1: the bodybuilder? or is-
0: He is. All yeah, right. He is. All right. To both my boys are actually um, powerlifters, but yes, Aiden got into it, and then his older brother followed him into the sport. Yeah. Yeah, a and he's a, in a good rugby way, player, and he'll be in the state championship rugby game next Saturday, but I will be in Hanover, New Hampshire, attending his brother's uh, commencement ceremonies at college. So three, I probably mentioned this last time, but three graduations, three weekends in a row, followed by my mom's 80th birthday. So it's a its a busy time, busy time. Busy time. How was Vermont? Beautiful. Yep. It was... Uh, Beautiful Vermont summer day for my daughter's graduation. And uh, yeah, it was perfect. Couldn't have gone better. Yeah, Good to hear. How about you? What's up with you? You you ended up finding any mushrooms?
1: (laughs) Uh, No. Uh, (laughs) No, I actually uh, just rode around my electric bike this weekend,
0: which was Ah. a blast. Well, that's a way to stay out of the mosquitoes because in your earlier mushroom hunting expeditions, you've run into what now the Star Tribune... Yeah, the Minneapolis paper is saying is, you know, among the worst early hatches of mosquitoes in anyone's memory.
1: Oh, I've got battle wounds from last week, so, yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's it's brutal out there.
1: It really... Oh, and, and we went camping uh, last weekend, and uh, the gnats were
0: crazy. Oh, baby. And the yeah.
1: fish kill was crazy, too.
0: I wouldn't mind, like, a really... Well, I guess it would hurt my garden if we had like a hard freeze right now, (laughs) just dropped (laughs) all the bugs. I kind of would maybe just like sacrifice my garden for the sake of billions of dead bugs. But I also (laughs) have been reading and like, we need insects. We're, you know, like there's like, I don't know, it's crazy. We've like killed 85% of the insects in the world in the last 50 years. And birds need insects and fish need insects and um, they're a big part of... You know the the different biomes, including ours, of course.
1: Yeah, I mean, if you want to hunt, you have to have uh, insects.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, in fact, I have a friend who she's a wildlife biologist, and she blames the you know the decreasing number of like pheasants ac- across the upper plains because um, farmers kill all the insects in their field, and that's how pheasant chicks get their protein is by eating you know grubs and and worms and and bugs. So that's her theory. And
1: uh, it's hard to argue with it. I was going to say, it seems fairly accurate.
0: Yeah. Well, speaking of pheasants, uh, we've got one of the premier upland bird hunters in the country on the podcast today. Tyler Webster lives in uh, Western North Dakota and was, I'm so glad I got to meet him in person and have him on uh, in the studio there at ron share productions you were kind enough to join us as well i I've, I've really admired tyler's uh videos and podcasts for a long time you can find the link in the show notes birds buds and booze uh anybody who's into upland hunting has probably heard his uh podcast in the past but uh he that dude is an avid uh upland bird hunter and has basically wouldn't you say he's kind of organized his entire life around his passion for upland bird hunting?
1: Oh, absolutely. I think he's got the greatest job setup up of all time.
0: <laughs> Other people yeah. work for you. <laughs> yeah. We get into that a bit. This, uh, USPS contractor in rural areas is what he does. And, um, yeah, it's a pretty amazing, uh, story. And I think people will be interested in it. So, you know, please, uh, Give him a listen. Subscribe to his podcast if you're into this kind of thing. He has lots of great guests on, and you can follow him. He does YouTube stuff and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. So uh, enjoy that. And as always, if you like what you hear, we would love a a review, a you know a rating, a thumbs up, whatever your different podcast app uses to um, bump up the Reverend Hunter podcast or share it with a friend. We appreciate it. Also, uh. I've got a Substack you can find if you just follow my social medias. If you're interested in my um, weekly writing, I write once a week on Thursday, a little essay. Love to have you uh, join in on that as well. And of course, as always, uh, tune into our all of our sister podcasts here on the Talk North Network, all which uh, have Brandon's fingerprints all over them. There's a lot of them. Just look up Talk North. A podcast network and you'll see them all so thanks for listening and here is my interview with the birds buds and booze guy tyler webster jack test ready ready can ready
1: can you, can, you can you hear i can hear yep Perfect. good what you get <laughs>
0: i am so gullible all this every <laughs> time it's so ridiculous every time yeah. oldest joke in the book <laughs> Hey, thanks for coming on, the Reverend Hunter. Thanks for coming into Twin Cities. Absolutely, man. Driving through. Is it on your way?
2: It's absolutely on my way. Yeah. I was going gonna...
0: to Michigan. You weren't going to take the ferry across or whatever?
2: If I haven't decided yet, if I take the ferry, I might take the ferry back uh, from Muskegon. Then it goes into Milwaukee. So I'd take
0: I-94 okay. all the way there anyways. Where are you staying at night? In town here? No. Keep <sighs> Someplace Keep in Wisconsin.
2: Driving. Yeah. I'm, I don't have anything to do until Friday morning. We're going to go shoot sporting clays. But, um, I just want to knock as much of the trip off as I can until, yeah. I mean, I want to make sure I hit Chicago, not right away in the morning Absolutely. and not around lunch. So if I, like, if you can go through Chicago about 10, in the morning, it's yeah. not terrible, but th- that's, that's really the the main motivator of, of you got
0: one mo- of those Iowa, um, Iowa tollway thingies, because my kids do that drive to the East coast for college. Sure. And then guess what I get? Like a month later, a bill. Yeah. Oh, I get multiple. Like every day, a yeah. new one rolls in, and each one is for like, you know, <laughs> it's the toll was four fifty, but then there's a fifteen dollar surcharge, sure. twenty dollar penalty, yeah. and then the next day another one comes. Yep. So. Uh... <laughs> I, I'll give you a little tip. Hopefully, there's no, I mean, I, I, our, hopefully there's no Illinois State
2: Troopers right. on the line. Uh, so uh, <laughs> I I have dealer plates on my pickup. Oh, I run right through them things. <laughs> and if they if they end up sending a bill to ID Ford in Bismarck, North Dakota, I, if they're still getting bills from me, then hey,
0: that's how she works. <laughs> <laughs> Do you always not just this trip? You're saying you always have dealer plates on. So.
2: There was something weird that happened. I bought my truck during COVID okay. uh, and I had custom uh, vanity plates on my truck and the dealer. What'd they say? what they say? They said setters. Okay. Uh, and nice. so the for whatever reason, the dealer didn't let me take the plates off the truck. And so I was waiting for the North Dakota Department of Transportation to send me my new plates, which I never got. Okay. I've had the truck for two years. Still haven't got it. (laughs) Doesn't seem like that. Seems like a them problem, not a you problem. You know what? Hey, until I get pulled over and they tell me that I need to fix it, it's like I paid for the registration on this thing. Yeah. I paid for the licensing on this thing. They never sent it to me. Where's the problem here? This is not my fault. This is your fault. (laughs) And in two years, I've serious. I've been seriously waiting to get pulled over, and have a highway patrolman or something. I haven't been pulled over. Period. And so as soon as I do get pulled over, I don't speed when I'm going anyplace. I got lots of time. I make sure I have plenty of time to get to wherever I'm going. But uh, as soon as I do, they're probably going to be like, where are your plates? And it's like, well, it's got dealer plates on it. I don't have my license plates yet. And I will just neglect to say that it's been two years waiting. So, but if you have dealer plates on your car, you can go through those tolls in Chicago and they don't send you nothing. (laughs)
0: <laughs> really no no so you only have a rear I, do you not have a front plate on dealer plate on the front too <laughs> on the front as well yeah. they can yeah. track those i would think
2: you would think but how many white f-150s has id ford and bismarck sold thousands
0: so they're not a specific – because in Minnesota, if you've got a dealer plate, it actually has a, like a number on just it. just
2: says ID Ford, Bismarck, North Dakota is all that mine says. doesn't yeah, okay. have any numbers a on
0: it. You got the yellow uh, piece of paper in the back Oh, window? I did two years <laughs> for, ago. For a year. Yeah, it was
2: only good for 45 <laughs> days anyways. And then if you have your windows down, those things blow out. So, yeah. I, mean, I mean, it's, it's been gone f- for two years. <laughs> 2 It'll be July, – July 1st will be
0: two years. And you so, just jinxed yourself by admitting all Probably,
2: this. but I mean it I've it's been two years. I've saved like two hundred and sixty or uh yeah, about two hundred and sixty bucks just in registration fees in the last two years. I'm making money.
0: So <laughs> <laughs> Okay, you haven't been pulled over in two years, so we know a little bit about your driving or about the lack of North Dakota law enforcement. Probably a little bit of both.
2: Tell but me. But I've this- driven through several states. So like yeah. when I drive to Arizona, I drive that same truck. I would have thought that if I was going to get pulled over, it would be in like Wyoming, Colorado, New Mexico, Arizona. Right, right. Never. Never. I've made the same trip over to Michigan half a dozen times. Never. So I think they just got better stuff to do.
0: Yeah. Okay. Let me ask you this. I, I, I don't hunt as much as you, but I hunt more than most guys. Sure. Never have been checked by a CO or a I, game warden. How about you?
2: I've been checked been checked more for fishing than I have been for hunting. Okay. Um, but I've been checked maybe two or three times in my life. Not very often. Yeah. Uh, and I've heard stories of friends of mine going through like checkpoints and stuff like Same. that, especially the f- first week in a deer season is a big one. Same thing oh, here in Minnesota. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, it's like a national holiday and I've never even seen one. Like, And I've been this way my entire life where, uh, I always make sure I have the licenses. I always make sure I'm doing things right because I don't like looking over my shoulder anyways. And the few times that I have been checked, uh, I had my license checked in Montana two years ago when we were at blue grouse hunting in the mountains. Uh, and I actually initiated the stop that I passed. I, I was driving and I was like, that looks like game and fish truck. And my buddy's like, yeah, I think, it, I think it's a couple of wardens. And I was like, well, I bet they know where there's blue grouse. Right. Absolutely. I mean, they're up there all the time. Yeah, right. Sure. And so I stopped and started talking with him. I was like, we're up here chasing, looking for blue grouse here for the next couple of days. Do you, you know, is there any decent roads going up into these mountains that you would recommend that you see some birds on this and that? And we sat there and we talked for like 20 minutes and he's like, well, since you guys are here, I suppose we might as well check your licenses. And I was like, yeah fine. No problem at all. But I end up getting more information out of the stop than, than they do for sure. I mean, like they just end up looking at my license that I have and they're like, Oh yeah, well you're legal. And I, now I know where to go look. It's, I mean, the game and fish, uh, is a pretty valuable resource really. And those guys spent a lot of time in those areas. So
0: yeah, I've done that. I've done that myself. It it didn't pay off, but (laughs) I did you get a ticket? (laughs) No, 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 no. I've never been stopped, but I've like called the, I've like called the you know, the pl- only place I've ever been stopped is in the boundary waters. Oh, okay. And that's, that's like by a national park ranger. Sure. You know, to make sure I had my canoe permit and I was in the right, you know, in the right area and had the not too many people and stuff like that.
2: Sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, when you go out to Michigan, the I don't know what goes on with the Michigan State DNR out there or whatever, but. If you talk to a bird hunter or a hunter or a fisherman or whatever for Michigan, you would think that there is a uh, correct or whatever CO uh, officer behind every tree. <laughs> I've been out there a dozen times. I still haven't seen a game warden for Michigan. So I've, uh, but uh, it's like the lore that they're, they're out there trying that, to get you. And it's like, man, yeah. that's not the case. At well, all. that's
0: how it was growing up in Minnesota about Wisconsin state troopers. Oh, really? like, oh, you can't, if you're driving to Chicago. Right, Brandon? Like, you can't... Don't speed in Wisconsin. Didn't... Yeah, you got to pay in cash. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Stuff like that. People be like, oh, my God, those Wisconsin state troopers. And now I drive to Wisconsin all the time. Yeah. I never see a state trooper. Yeah, you I've know, ne- never had a problem. Everyone's driving 75 and a 65. It, right. It, it's not seem to be a problem. No. No.
2: <laughs> there, there, You know, and I've always been under the impression that if 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 I do get stopped, whether it's in a traffic stop or whatever... Just don't be doing anything wrong. It's yeah. the same thing with the yeah. game wardens, right? I mean, the people that are are really nervous about having run-ins with the game and fish or the DNR, whatever they're called in whatever particular state you're in, they're probably doing something they shouldn't be doing. When I get stopped, I get a fishing report, I get a hunting report, I might get a story, I might get a podcast guest, I, you know, yeah, whatever, right. <laughs> you know. Uh, right. So I did get. Uh, I I have the distinct honor of. I got one ticket from the Game and Fish in my life in North Dakota. Uh, and it happened to be a few years ago in Devil's Lake. Uh, the The law was passed and it went into effect on April 1st. So our, our proclamations, our hunting licenses and everything else go from April 1st to March 31st every year. Mm-hmm. I was out there April 2nd fishing for walleye. And this particular law, Which I actually approve of. They, they said that when you're, when you're transporting fish, the fillets have to be in one piece. So you can't fillet a walleye and then you can't pull the rib meat off and then chunk it up because then there's no way for them to tell how many, how many fish are there and they can't be frozen. I just had forgotten that it was passed, and it was the day after it was enacted. Oh no! And I got a ticket for twenty dollars. Oh! And the and the game warden was actually talking to me. He's like, I don't really even want to write you this ticket. He's like, but our director wants everybody to know because when Devils Lake starts to really get good in May and June, and there's a lot of people coming over from Minnesota, we want it to be public knowledge that you can't do what you used to do anymore. And like, there's a huge population that goes over there. And they're catching white bass and northerns and walleyes and everything else. And they're filleting them all and they're chunking everything up and they're freezing it and putting it in bags. There's zero way that you can count yeah. and actually make sure people are at their possession limit. They're not doing anything wrong. So there was five of us out there. And we were actually, the fish that that we ended, I ended up getting the ticket for uh, were walleyes that we'd caught on Lake Cockwheel like two days earlier. And my friends from Michigan were going back through. We went over there because the fishing was good. And so we had two baggies little little baby baggies like Mm -hmm. this Mm court baggies of walleye filets that I'd pulled the bones out of because I mean, apparently in Michigan, they don't know how to catch walleyes or something, but I (laughs) wanted to make sure they knew how to get the bones out. Sure. Uh, and he's like, there's five of you guys. Clearly this isn't a possession limit, right? But we have a mandate from our director that we need to write this ticket. And I was like, well, how much is the ticket? And he's like $20. I was like, write it to me. It's fine. I have no problem with that at all. And then, just because I'm me. I did a podcast about it afterwards sure, uh, titled sure. I Got a uh, Ticket from the Game and Fish. Yeah. Uh, and kind of went into detail and was ended up talking to the guy for a long time, got a really good fishing report, which I would have paid way more than $20 <laughs> right, for. Right. And obviously it was uh, it's like getting a parking ticket. You know, yeah. I mean, like it was like the lowest form of a ticket that you could ever get. But uh, it, was, it was just kind of funny. I was the first person in the state that
0: ever got issued that ticket. That's <laughs> awesome. That's funny. <laughs> so, well, speaking of tickets, what do you think? just this week the um the news came out about these the sentence these guys pleaded guilty that guys that were stuffing lead weights in those yeah. walleye at that is that in ohio right yeah that tournament yeah and they got like well i guess in ohio you can only take away someone's fishing license for three years that's idiotic isn't personally. that idiotic yeah because even in the even in the news reports i read in the outdoor news people were like like the tournament director was like, these guys, I hope they get banned from every fishing tournament.
2: They and, are banned from the fishing tournaments, but they can't take away their license is the way that I
0: Yeah, right, exactly. Right. And he said it's it's outrageous that they or maybe even the judge said it's yeah. outrageous they can only lose their licenses for three years, but that's that's the max.
2: Right. That that that's that's wild. Um
0: they did finally plead guilty. I mean, I don't know what choice they had. Yeah, it, and they uh, couldn't have been caught more red-handed. No, and it,
2: it, it was kind of funny to me actually, just watching some of the videos that like everybody on the planet watched about a hundred <laughs> yes, times. Yes, you could see his co-angler, like as the as they were up there weighing, he was like, "I'm just going to go ahead He's and, and exit stage away. left." <laughs> and then the one guy's just twisting <laughs> in the wind, stood there and just <laughs> took it like a champ. But I was like. I'm more on the if I was ever going to be put in that kind of position, I would have been kind of like trying to disappear into the wall, just like that other guy was and just like
0: it was funny because in all the video, because the news reports were it's two guys, these two guys, they fish together, they win all these tournaments and then all the videos are just, just of the one that guy. guy. <laughs> yeah, just that guy. So I'm guessing they're probably not friends anymore. I would, I would. I wouldn't assume their so. Their wives are probably like, yeah, we're not gonna socialize. We're not gonna double date. With or them I mean, obviously they were two birds of a feather. True. I mean,
2: like, I mean, if, if you're gonna come up with some kind of a scam like that to uh, to defraud people out of literally hundreds of thousands of dollars in prize yeah. money and stuff like that, they're both uh, equally guilty in my mind, and that takes a certain kind of person to come up with that. Also, how egregious can you be? I oh, mean, like yeah. when you're when you're weighing a twenty-inch walleye. Those of us who fish know what a twenty-inch walleye weighs, and all of a sudden you're getting a twenty-inch walleye that weighs like five pounds, and you're right. like, "This is about a pound and a half over what it like should weigh."
0: One weight, maybe well, you throw one lead weight in there, and, but you don't throw right. a four plus. <laughs> other walleye fillets they were stuffing in there, which which,
2: is- which also should have been wanton waste. Right. I mean, sure. like, I don't know why they didn't get a ticket for that. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there was a lot of tickets there, but wanton waste is a pretty big, uh, that's a pretty big deal. Yeah. I mean, sure. and how do you think you're going to get away with it? I mean, you, if you, we've all caught that one outlier fish, that's like a 20 inch walleye that is super fat, like maybe just sure. ate a big perch or whatever. You don't catch all Every fish that's all exactly the same length and weighs consistently a pound and a half more than everybody else fish, fish that was caught in the same tournament weighs, doesn't happen. It's like, how on earth do you have a 22 inch fish that weighs seven pounds? It's like, What? <laughs> How can this happen? What I a did bunch see of that the
0: guy's boat that they took was worth 110 grand.
2: Won it in a tournament. So
0: that had to hurt. Yeah. Oh, like, he, he won it. That, he didn't pay for yeah. Money. But still, it had to hurt.
2: Sure. Yeah, they don't give away boats these days. Let me tell you, I just bought one yesterday. <laughs> I signed papers on it yesterday, and I was like, boy, if you would have told me 10 years ago I'd be writing that check, I would have said, uh-uh. Yeah. There ain't no way I'd be writing that check. Yeah. But, hey. You know, our our habits are getting more and more expensive by the day and it's
0: kind of fun. Yeah. <laughs> so um, you grew up in Minot I outside did. of Minot or in town? In, in town in Minot. Yeah. What was that like? What's it like growing up in in well western, western uh, north Nodak?
2: Well, Minot's pretty much dead center North Dakota mm-hmm. in the north, but um it I really miss uh what Minot was back then. It was a lot smaller uh, then. I yeah. mean it's still a great town, uh but when I was growing up I think there was probably 20,000 people in there and now there's 50, right? So like we had endless amounts of trees and coolies and I could walk behind my grandparents' house just outside of town and find cubbies of huns and everything else. But it was a great place to grow up. Um, you know, the outdoors was right outside our door, literally. I mean, we had a river that runs right through town. We catch walleyes and perch and all kinds of stuff there. We had, um, the bird hunting was good, not so much for pheasants. Uh, when I was growing up, if you've seen a pheasant around Minot, you talked about it oh. for a while. Now you can see him in city limits in Minot. What's um, the,
0: what's the difference? More people and more pheasants. What's that about?
2: Um, so when I was like, I started hunting when I was eight, uh, which would have been 1991. Uh, that was kind of like the height of, of CRP mm. and the pheasants were kind of expanding from the, the typical home, uh, the historic areas of North Dakota that were always good for pheasant hunting, like down by lakes, Kakawea, um, Bismarck, all that kind of stuff. But with all the habitat that was blowing up through the eighties and the nineties, they just kind of started pushing North. And it also uh, ran in, in accordance with people starting to really enjoy seeing and chasing pheasants. So people started getting chicks and releasing and all that kind of stuff. And it just kind of just all, all started to snowball. And, and now there's tons of fe- and some of the best pheasant hunting in North Dakota is around Minot now, um, mm. because it, we ended up we ended up uh, like Bismarck and down there they started losing CRP faster than North Dakota or than Minot did because a lot of the CRP up by Minot didn't go in until after the stuff in Bismarck had already gone in. Okay, like it seemed so it like expired it, was, yeah, it expired later. Yeah, expired later. So, uh, and the bird hunting out there just just benefited from it, yeah. but. Um, there's a lot of different uh reasons why i think part of it is uh where minot is it's kind of right on the edge of the flat farm country to the east and the prairie pothole stuff to the west mm. and so there's always those going to there was always those pockets there but uh as they kind of just blew up and expanded they they just found their strongholds and minot mm. just ended up being one of them and it's been good up there for all through the two thousands mm-hmm, really mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: has mine not grown so much since you were a kid because of the oil and the yeah. fracking. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So that really started to take off in like 2005. Mm. Um, I graduated from high school in 2002 and I mean, nobody really knew what, what, I mean, the oil has had its ups and downs, it's yeah. booms and busts, uh, in the fifties and the seventies and then nothing in the nineties. And then all of a sudden in the early two thousands with the, hydraulic fracking stuff that, that was, uh, now legal and the technology was there and, and everything else it, and mine, again, just like it's right next to the flat farm country to the East and the Hills to the West. Well, it's also not in the oil field, but it's one of the only major cities
0: yeah. outside of the oil field that there is. Cause I mean, so if you want your kids to go to public school or if you, or you I mean, it's also Walmart, right. To, yeah. It's
2: also a, a hub though for the, for the railroad. Yeah, and so you have to you have to get that oil out once you produce it. So a lot of the companies, uh, they would, that when Williston was going completely insane, Mm -hmm. Minot was also going completely insane. Like it was just growing like like crazy. Uh, In two thousand eleven, Minot flooded, and that same year uh, there was a, uh, a. I think it was a New York times article that came out that said, uh, Williston, North Dakota had the highest rent in the nation That's higher insane. than Manhattan, New That's York insane. for a 500 square foot, one bedroom apartment in Williston, North Dakota. It was $4,000 a month. My God. And they were paying it
0: and people, people were
2: paying it, paying it but also my, not just flooded and they lost, you oh. know, 11,000 homes or whatever it was. So, now all the people that were working in the oil field and the oil industry, you have to go there. You have to pay it. The oil companies are paying it. So, right. but yeah, it, it was, it was wild, but I mean, mm-hmm. it was, you know, growing up in mine, it was one of the, it was one of those places where uh, you didn't go home until the porch lights came on at night, right. Mm-hmm. Or the street lights or whatever. It was a bigger city for North Dakota, but it was still that really small town safe mm-hmm. place. Mm-hmm. It was great.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it's funny, I, I remember when I, I think the first time I went to Gackle, North Dakota, and I, I asked somebody, well, how'd they get the t- name of this town? So the here, here was the legend, is that they were coming through with the railroad just around the turn of the 20th century. And there's a bunch of, you know, the railroad surveyors coming through, and there's just a bunch of farmers kind of standing there leaning on their shovels or whatever. And, the you know, there's just a few little, like, few little houses mm-hmm. and a crossroads. And the, the railroad surveyor says, uh, what's, the name, what's the name of this here town? And they, you know, some farmer says, ain't got a name. Well, what's your name? My name's Gackle. And the guy goes, okay, this town is called Gackle. That makes <laughs> that sense. That. I
2: always assumed it was named after the Blackbirds. <laughs> yeah. uh, but um, interesting. Do you know why along those rail lines, there's a town every seven miles?
0: People have to take a downpipe. I don't, I don't know. know what
2: fill up with water for the
0: steam. Oh, really?
2: And that's okay. how long that you—that's how far you could get in a steam engine. Dang. So, like, if you go from Minot, Minot to Burlington, seven miles. Burlington to Foxhome, seven miles. Hmm. Foxhome to Carpio, or uh, yeah, Carpio, seven miles. So it's all on that based on that grid for and every place that you stopped, there would be a town. So
0: hmm. yeah. Hmm. Um. What'd you do after you graduated from high school? Did you stick around Minot or what happened I stuck
2: next? around Minot for a while. Um, my mom ended up passing away in 2005, so she was sick. Uh, and then I went to Fargo and went to college for a few years. Um, and even when I was in college, uh, I didn't want to be there because there wasn't the hunting wasn't nearly as so
0: good. So you were crazy about hunting?
2: From the time I from, was a kid. When you yeah. were eight, yeah. Yeah, okay. Uh, in fact, my grandpa had pictures of me going with in his pickup uh in a car seat when i was a baby going out checking traps on the on the trap line oh wow um and it was just all that i ever thought about so even when i was in college every chance i got i was going back west and and anyways i ended up getting uh getting finishing my degree at ndsu Went back to Minot. Was back in Minot for a little while. Uh, then the flood happened. Went back to Fargo for a couple of years. And I ended up starting my mail contracts. Uh, I got my first mail contract when I was 30. So that was 2014.
0: So what's that? What's a mail contract?
2: So the United States Postal Service in a lot of the small town, the rural communities, they a lot of the mail routes aren't actually staffed by USPS employees. Okay. Um, if you do a, a cost analysis uh, on on uh, USPS versus independent contractors doing the exact same job. Independent contractors don't get paid nearly what the postal service does just because of benefits and all that kind of stuff, right? right.
0: It's just like with every other- No pension, no health
2: insurance, et cetera. So uh, I had zero idea what it was. I was literally sitting at the kitchen table one morning I'd been a bar manager for a long time. I didn't want to do that no more. I knew that. And I had a business major and a psychology minor of all things. And I was like, I don't know what I'm going to (laughs) do. Like 30, all all I know is that all I want to really do is hunt and fish every day. Okay. And I was sitting at the kitchen table and I was reading through the classified ads back when people still did that. Yeah. And there's a mail contract. Um, they're hiring a driver. The contract holder was based in Kansas. There was a Kansas phone number there. Called the guy. He's like, don't know if it's going to be something you're interested in. He's like, it's 125 miles of gravel roads every day. Um, you got to provide your own vehicle, your own gas, your own repairs. It pays this much, uh, per month, but you work Monday through Saturday, except for holidays. And I was like, I pay my own money to go out and drive around 120 miles a day in the country <laughs> I as call it that is. scouting exactly <laughs> and so yeah. um I started that working for that guy in April and I learned <laughs> real fast that he was the one making money. And I was basically making about 12 or 13 bucks an hour. Like after I got done paying my insurance and the vehicle repairs and the gas and all that kind of stuff, it just didn't pencil out. It's like, I just went from a $50,000 a year bar manager job to making what a kid at McDonald's makes. However, I'm much happier. Okay, Uh, And so he let it slip that there was another contract up for bid in Stanley. I was like, well, I know that area. And he's, he's like, if you're interested, if I bid on the route, uh, you can go and work that route. I can probably pay you a little bit more money. And I was like, no, I'm not interested. And I put a bid in on it myself and got it. And, Dang.
0: and, and how do you, how, what's that process? I mean, federal bids are, uh, it's older, a lot harder. Odorous, it's I'm, a lot
2: yeah. harder than it should be. And yeah. trying to figure it out. Uh, you know, we, they put a deadline out there. We had, um, about 10 days to get everything together. You have to get You have to set up an LLC. You have to come up with um, uh, an actual, they have a worksheet where you have to, it breaks down the bid while you're, why you are bidding the amount of money you're bidding. So you have to go into the quarts of oil, the price of gas, the miles per day, the uh, everything. And then you have to go through an application and a background check and fingerprinting and drug tests. And this was all new to you. All new to me. And so the original uh, uh, premise was, is that me and my cousin, were going to get it together. Uh, we were going to split the route equally. There's usually 26 days a month, most months that's without the Sundays and without the holidays. So I was going to work 13 days. He was going to work 13 days that worked for about a month. (laughs) And, uh, the next month, I think I worked 15 days and he worked 11. And then it was, uh, was he calling in sick or was he, he... he'd just call me and he'd be like, Hey, do you want to run the route tomorrow? And I was like, well, I'm not doing anything. I suppose I can, you know, except during hunting season. Thankfully we got the route, we got the route in, uh, in July. And then when he started trying to call me in like September and October and I was just gone, uh, after we got done with that first season, he's like, I, I, he had a new girlfriend and they were getting married and all this kind of stuff. And he's like, you know, from we were both living in Minot, yeah, and it's fifty-five mile drive each way. Oh, dang! And then when you get out there, you drive one hundred and fifty miles a day on gravel. So you'd leave at seven o'clock in the morning. You'd get to the post office at eight. You'd be done with the route by one thirty or two, and then you'd be back home by three, which still isn't a long day. But you drive two hundred and fifty miles a day every day.
0: You're on your ass. Is is? is I have a couple questions. Sure. One, You're driving a car with a blinking orange light on the top.
2: Sometimes. uh, We have to provide our own vehicles. The post office is supposed to provide us with the orange lights that blink. uh, (laughs) And it's up to us if we want to put them on or
0: not. Oh, you don't have to. We don't have to. Okay. And then you're, but you don't have, you're not sitting on the wrong side. You're sitting. This is the thing about, and some listeners have never seen this. Right. but. When you are what when you're in rural areas hunting and you pass the mail delivery contractor, yeah. I guess yeah. they're sitting on the other side, reaching across yeah. to the steering wheel with their foot like over the yep. middle part of it. Yep. The- you got to have
2: a bench seat. It's a require. I mean, like if, if, if you can't do it, can't you a bench buy a seat. car like a
0: British car where you'd be a, driving a,
2: li- a right hand drive? Yeah, yeah, you can, uh, but most of them are garbage. Oh, <laughs> uh, and they've been used to crap by people just like me. Uh, so there's, there's, uh, a lot of the places we just, the way that we did it was, I think the smart way to do okay. it. We just went out there and we would individually talk to every person on our route. There was 145 people on our route and 150 miles. And we would just simply ask them if they could move the mailbox to the other side of the road. No
0: kidding. And they're allowed to do that. Sure.
2: Because Like us as contractors, we actually have say in where you put the mailbox at and at what height the post can be. Because the post, you have to be able to reach it out of a car. And so we would just, you know, I had a relationship with several of the people that were out there already. Uh, we're just like, hey. And the other thing is, it's not like you can't do that in areas that are wooded and hilly, right? Because you got somebody coming down or around a corner or something like that. They can't see you. All of a sudden, they head, hit you head on. But Western North Dakota is pretty flat, and you can see for a long ways. Yeah, and so unless it, there was a, if and if there was a area like that that was, it would be prohibitively dangerous to have the mailbox set up there. We would have them put it on the approach, so we could just pull into the approach, go out the same out the normal window that you normally drive on, back out and go, and everybody to a person are like, I don't know why. Nobody's ever asked us to do this, but <laughs> obviously this is a lot easier for you guys.
0: Yeah, and so they all did it. They moved yeah, they all boxes. moved
2: it. And and you know they're uh, they're like we've we've always wondered why they sit on the wrong side of the car and just put it out that way. Why don't they just either drive the route backwards? Um, right. You know, like <laughs> yeah. just start with your last box first and just run the route in reverse so everything would go out that way. Um, and the reason you can't do that is because there's GPSs in your mail scanner. And they're set up to go out that window. But there's a little loophole in there where if the mailbox is put on the other side, you can go over and put the mail in the box and then just continue on down the road. And so that's what we did. And now um, my cousin Jared only worked out there for uh, maybe seven, eight months. And he just got tired of it. And I took it over all by myself full time. And then I… In
0: what year was that?
2: 2015. And then… I ended up hiring a person to give me some days off. Sure. Uh, You know, he was done in like January and I was like, January, no problem. February, no problem. March, April, May, June, July, no problem. August, August, now I'm starting to <laughs> see hunting season on the horizon. And I'm like, boy, it would sure be nice to not have to work every single day. Right. And I mean, it's not like it's a real strenuous job. And I was working in the country that I was going to hunt in anyways. But being a federal employee, you can't carry a gun with you. Uh, and so sure. I would, I had a mail vehicle parked at the post office, one of ours that I owned. And I would drive my personal vehicle out there. With my hunting gear in it. Sure. And then when I got done with the route, I would go back, and then I'd go out and, and hunt, which was fine. Yeah. Um,
0: no big deal there. Can, can you uh, – dogs, leaving dogs in the oh, I've, I take, car? Oh,
2: I've taken my dogs on the mail route. Oh, they go me. on the route. Okay, sure. gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha.
0: Yeah. The, uh, Head out the window.
2: They're loving Oh, it. they love it. As long as they're not drooling on the mail, they don't care. <laughs> uh, but uh, And so in July, I started looking for somebody to come in and – Um, either split the route or, um, just work weekends or whatever it was, you know, whatever they wanted to do, I'd be fine with. Mm -hmm. And I ended up finding somebody that wanted to work all the days and drive my vehicle and the gas. And then I, so that's what I did. I just paid them less money. And I provided the vehicle and the gas and everything else. And at the same time, I picked up another route that combines with that one. And now I just oh. picked up my third route, which combines with that one. Oh, no uh, And so now I have six employees that all run mail routes for me that are also independent contractors Dang. that have to be vetted by the postal service. But okay. I'm the contract holder. And then I, the big thing is that if the mail route doesn't get ran one time and the contracts are six years long, they can pull the contract. And they can ban you from getting a federal contract for life.
0: So If you miss one day. If you miss one day. So you got to vet these subcontractors hard. Yeah. You do personally.
2: Yeah. So is what I came up with, the solution I came up with, and I don't know if this is boring at all or not. No, I'm interested. uh, So is what I ended up doing is I made it so that every month was its own individual contract for the subcontractor. Oh, okay. So if they worked 22 days and they didn't show up, they don't get paid for 22 days at all. And then they're fired and they lose out on that whole month's pay. And I put it in the contract as well that they're I provide safe and reliable vehicles. Mm-hmm. If they get into an accident, I'm not liable. Um, you're probably doing sure, something that you sure. weren't supposed to do. If there's no weather advised, we don't have to go. That's written into the contract okay. from the government. So, you know, you get a bad winter storm or whatever. You don't have to go if there's no travel advised. Um, but. I also said that you must give me two weeks notice. Um, otherwise, it'll be a breach of that month-long contract because now, as I'm getting more and more of these contracts, I'm hiring people, my podcast is also starting to take off. yeah. And I'm starting to be in Arizona and Michigan and Montana and New Mexico and Kansas and all these other places and I need to have some, uh, some notice, yeah, totally. you know, like you can't work the 30th and then not show up on the first. So I yeah. put it in there that you have to give me a two weeks notice. That way I can get back from wherever I am. If I'm out of the state and I can run it Cover until it, I can fire, or, yeah. find somebody to, yeah. to work. And I've had the same employees now for four years huh. and, uh, I, and, and this might just have something to do with the fact that I've gotten lucky, uh, but all, which is entirely possible, but all the people that work for me are all single moms and, no kidding. and they drop their kids off at school at eight o'clock huh. in the morning. They go to the post office at eight 30 and they're done by two. So it's a perfect job for them. And it probably has something to say about the way that single parents are single yeah. moms in particular, where they're ultra responsible. They're ultra reliable. Uh, they, you know, they're, they're making sure that things get done and it works out really well for them because they make uh, a good living on a part-time job and they can still be there to pick up their kids from school. Yeah. And it like, so it just, it's a win, win, win.
0: That's ideal. Yeah. Oh, have you, have you ever stolen a a contract from the guy you used to work for? Have you had to bid against him or no?
2: (laughs) Uh, all the bids are sealed. So I don't (laughs) know. Um, so the one I ended up just getting my third one just last week. And I was the only person who bid on it. No kidding. Yeah. And you don't know that when you're bidding. Otherwise, I would have bid higher. <laughs> right. Uh,
0: right.
2: I, would have, I would have jumped that sucker up there a yeah. little bit. Yeah. Um, but he, uh, <coughs> excuse me, he uh, mentioned when, so I was working for him when I was putting in my first bid. Okay. And like, yeah. I knew that, and I'll, I'll, I'll even say what it was. I mean, I was getting paid $4,000 a month. When you figure out the gas and the vehicle and the repairs and everything else uh not to I mean wear and tear on the vehicles and everything oh else gosh, I was making yeah. about two thousand dollars a month yeah for twenty six days of work, and it yeah. again it wasn't hard, but that's not much, no right, even and so in, even
0: in north Dakota
2: right, and it's gotten the cost of living out there is going right along with every place sure, else sure um but So I didn't mention to him that I was going to bid on that route. I just kind of omitted that from our conversations that we had, which were very limited. Basically it came down to uh, me asking for more money and him denying me. And then uh, I would just get a deposit in my account every month for the same amount. Uh, And when the bid process was done, I ended up underbidding him. I didn't know he was going to bid on it either. Oh, And they're all sealed. You don't know what the winning yeah. bid was until it comes out. I ended up underbidding him by uh, $400 a year is all that it was. It was that no close. Kidding. Like it was just Dang like – I decided that I was going to go with some kind of off the wall number because I thought that, hey, maybe everybody's just going to go with like round numbers. Yeah. And I ended up bidding. uh, Because
0: you're just doing like back of the napkin. Basically, yeah. To figure out how much gas supposedly is going to cost in the next six years. Right. You don't know how much gas is going to cost over six years. Exactly.
2: I'm not smart enough to figure out oil futures in in other parts of the world, you know. Uh, Otherwise, I wouldn't be working at all. (laughs) Uh, So uh, I'm just kind of, I ended up getting. Stupid, lucky, Wow, and then I used that experience for the next one that I got and now for this yeah, third
0: one that yeah, I got. yeah, well, can, that's awesome, man. yeah,
2: you know, just got to figure it out, you know, and kind of kind of just say yes to
0: everything and see what sticks, I guess, but um it's interesting how your uh love of hunting. Kind of drove this, yeah. In some ways, yeah. Like you wanted a job that had freedom and that got you out in the country, and right. Um, like how how has that part of your life grown? Because now, I mean, that's how I've known you. Obviously, sure. Uh, you know, and I'm, other people through your podcasts, and now you're you know on the Flush TV show, and right. you're sponsored and stuff like that. So how has th- that has happened relatively recently that that's all blown up? Like yeah. What got you, or let let me ask it this way. What do you think it is about your podcast Hmm. that caused it to get traction with all the freaking hunting podcasts out
2: there? So part of it is just that I got in really early into it. Yeah. Um, so when I started my bird hunting podcast, it was the second one out there mm. and I got into it because of the first guy that got into it, encouraging me to do so. So I was a guest on Ron's hunting, uh, hunting dog podcast, his first season. Okay. And it's a hundred percent directly correlating with my mail routes because I was driving the mail routes and I was so tired of listening to FM radio or Sirius cause it was the same music playing all the time. Yeah. I'd heard of this podcast thing. And I had, I was like, well, what the hell is that? And so I started looking, I was like, well, I wonder what they're, what they're, what, what interests me while well, hunting. Uh, I wonder if there's any, um, hunting podcasts. You type in hunting podcast. back then, this is 2014. Uh, there's a bunch of deer hunting stuff, not really all that interested. Yeah, And that was it. And then I looked up, uh, there was a waterfowl hunting podcast, uh, that I listened to a little bit And then I was like, I wonder about Upland hunting. There was nothing that came up when you typed in Upland hunting. And I was like, well, I wonder about hunting dogs, hunting dog podcast. And I started listening on his third episode Hmm. that he ever did. And I sent him an email because it was, uh, I felt like, you know, those, I don't know if it's a feeling you get or you just tend to relate to a person in a way, because they remind you of conversations that you've had with somebody else. Mm-hmm. That's how it was. It was like, I've had that same conversation with my friends or with my grandpa or my uncles or whatever. And I just sent him an email, and I was like, "If you ever want to talk to a, a guy from North Dakota, uh, you, know, I'd love to talk to you, or if you ever want to come out here and go hunting?" Same way I met Travis. I was like, "If you ever want to come out to North Dakota and go bird hunting, get a hold of me." He got a hold of me. Ron got a hold of me. Mm-hmm. And so I ended up being on his podcast a month or two later. We had a great time. And he's like, you got so many stories and you do this more than any person that I've ever met. You need to have a podcast. And I was like, I don't want a podcast. So I kept on telling him no for like a year and a half. Hmm. And then in 2017, July of 2017 is when I started my podcast. He finally wore me down. And then um, I wanted it to be, I didn't want it to be anything that it wasn't, if that makes sense. Like I wanted it to be uh kind of a diary of my hunting season with my hunting friends whoever that may be and my group of friends has evolved over the time just like we all do you yeah. know in the beginning I'm 31 32 years old me and all my friends are having beers after we get done um before they've had families or before they're married and I never wanted a family and never wanted to get married hmm. and I'm successful in that <laughs> endeavor so far uh mainly because I'm uh highly selfish with my personal time. Mm. I want to do what I want to do and I don't want to have to justify to somebody else why I'm doing something. Like I've, I've had a lot of friends in my life that have passed away too young and my, my grandpa and my mom and everybody else. Mm. And I remember promising my grandpa when he was dying of cancer, when I was 18, he's like, uh, just promise me that the last check that you write in life bounces. He said, because I worked 70 hours a week my whole life and I saved and I never took the trips with my brothers and my friends and all this kind of stuff. He said, don't make that mistake. He said, have as much fun as you possibly can because we only get one shot at this. Hmm. And that's kind of how I've always been. Um, And so I ended up getting, starting the podcast and people just kind of started to relate to it because it was exactly that. It was, we didn't have podcasts that were, you know we were just sitting around telling stories making fun of each other having a good time mm-hmm. after we had a really good day in the field or whatever and it's been evolving over time again just like we all have where I'll still do one of those podcasts occasionally where it's me and my friends having some drinks after we get done hunting but it's a lot more about uh places and the stories and the dogs and the species of bird that I'm hunting and why I'm doing this and, and the going to places instead of just the same thing over and over again. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's the, I've, i I get the, the single most comment that I get all the time. It's like, I love your podcast because it's like I'm sitting in your garage hanging out with you and your friends. Mm-hmm. And then I meet people at events like pheasant fest and all this kind of stuff. And I'll start telling them a story and they're like, Oh yeah, we heard this on podcast episode two <laughs> yeah. I was like, Oh yeah, I forgot. I'm yeah. such an open book on there that I, you guys know all my stories, yeah. uh, you know, and that's great and it's fun. And I keep on encouraging people to go and try new things because I have failed at going to new places and trying new species to hunt. And, uh, but those have always ended up being some of my favorite trips. Um, the first time we went to Kansas first out of state hunting trip I ever did in my life was 2015 hmm. and we got our butts kicked for a week. I mean, we were down there for six days. We walked 56 miles. We shot four quail and two pheasants. That was it. And we didn't see birds. Like, we were these hot shot hunters from North Dakota with these dogs, and we're just positive we're going to go down there and knock it out of the park. Didn't happen at all. And when we were driving home, when we left Kansas, we're like, oh, thank God we're leaving this place. When we left Nebraska, we're like, you know – Honestly, there, that was pretty cool the one time. And by the time we got to North Dakota border, we're like, God, we got to go back next year because we got to do better. <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah. like, there's always uh, – there's a lot of trepidation in trying something that's outside your comfort zone. And I've tried so many things that are outside my comfort zone at this point that hopefully I can help people learn from my mistakes and give them just a little bit of advice to help give them enough confidence mm-hmm. to go and try something mm-hmm. on their own.
0: Mm-hmm. So it's interesting to hear that part of that journey for you was these people important to you in your life who've Mm. died. Yeah. And that, that I wonder, um, I don't know, you know, if you have any religious background growing up or anything like that, but I wonder how hunting, if you've thought of this, like does it, does it fulfill some kind of spiritual need in your life or do you see it that way, providing you with, more than just fun. I mean, I think that's a big theme of your podcast and your Mm -hmm. hunting and your Instagram and everything. It's like hunting is fun. This dude loves it. Yeah. He just goes out and he has fun and he goes out with other people who have fun doing it. Right. Um, but I wonder also, do you ever reflect on like, are there more deeper spiritual meanings to it or something like that?
2: I think it's impossible to spend as much time in the outdoors as I do and not think that there is. Um, I've never been, a, um, a church going person, but we've always been. So like when I grew up hunting with my, my grandpa is the one who got me into the outdoors. He worked Monday through Saturday from the, six o'clock in the morning until six o'clock at night, every week. Dang. Sundays was our day where it was just him and I, and we'd go out into the outdoors and do something. That was our church. That was my church. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't. I think it's impossible to look at a sunrise over top of a duck slough or a rooster pheasant coming out of a cattail slough or whatever and not look around and see whatever you want to call it, whether it be God's fingerprints or whatever. But it's hard to not feel spiritual when you're out in the outdoors, at least for me. Like that is my church. That's where I feel connected to the land and the animals and, and higher power and everything else. Um, and it's, it's been like the most important thing in my life Mm -hmm. forever, um, has, has just been, and that was Sundays. That was what we did on Sundays. Mm -hmm. And so instead of going to church, I went with my grandpa to the outdoors and that, that was our church.
0: That's awesome. That's awesome. I, um, I mean, I don't want to say, I wish I wouldn't have spent so much time in church because I want to like, uh, uh. I don't want to like insult my parents for taking sure. me there because. But I, get
2: it. I I think that there's and I I hope that I'm not off base here, but I think there's a big difference between being religious and spiritual mm-hmm. and spiritual. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that people get bogged down in, uh, you know, we have to go to and I have nothing but respect for people that do, but we have to go to Sunday mass or whatever. Um, it should be more about communing. And putting things out into the ether, whatever you want to call it, whatever kind of, whatever it is, and wherever you feel that the most is where you should do it. Mm. If it's within four walls and uh, looking and listening to a person like yourself uh, interpret this, you know, whatever it is, um, that's great. And I have nothing but respect for those people. For me, it's being on the lake in a boat or walking behind my dogs out in the field somewhere. Mm-hmm. And I think that the people, just like every everything else in our country, if the people who are like me and the people who are more so the church-going people, if we can just realize that we both are – spiritual or religious or whatever, but we don't have to call it whatever, or we don't have to show up to this place on a certain day and then the rest of the week be crappy people. <laughs> right? You know right. what I mean? Yeah. Like oh, it's, yeah. and, totally. and it's, a, it's a, it's a real thing where we, it's, it, it's kind of just that individu- individualistic thing where for me it was always experienced in the outdoors.
0: Yeah. You said something that's interesting It, um, uh, you know, that a choice you made a long time ago not that you weren't gonna get married and weren't gonna have kids. My I'm married to somebody who decided at age 16 she wasn't gonna have kids. Mm. And that's maybe it's different for a woman, probably. You know, that's kind of a countercultural choice. Sure. Um and you know, sometimes people are like, Well, they they think, Well, what? Why would you but you've probably run into that too, I'm guessing. I mean, there are sure. probably people who are like, When are you gonna Oh, when are you going to hook up. We're well, like, what? There, come on, yeah. man. There's a lot of fish in the sea, you know, <laughs> like it
2: was never, it was just never a major driver for me. Yeah. Um, you know, I dodged a bullet when I was like 22, 23, where I had a fairly serious girlfriend and, uh, <laughs> well, I remember the moment that I I knew for sure that it wasn't going to work with that particular person where she's like, we were supposed to go to her sister's wedding and it happened to fall on opening day of pheasant season. Oh boy. And uh, (laughs) apparently she had a whole conversation with me like three weeks prior where I was probably watching a movie or something and not really
0: paying attention where she thought you assented to going. Apparently I did. Uh,
2: I don't remember (laughs) this at all. And like, and, and so I was, she, as the date gets closer, she's like, well, we got to go in for a tux fitting. I said, what the hell do I need to go in for a tux fitting for? She said, we got to go to my sister's wedding. I said, well, when's your sister's wedding? She said, we talked about this three weeks ago. Hopefully. And I said, well, when is it? She said, it's Saturday. I said, Saturday is opening day of pheasant season. And she said, yeah, it's just one day. I was like, no, 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 it's not just a day. It is the opening day of pheasant yeah.
0: season. It's like Christmas, Easter, Groundhog Day. Yes, it's like, it is the day. Yeah.
2: And I will tell you what I won't be doing on that day is going to a wedding wearing a tux at noon. I will not be that. I will be wearing hunting pants and a bird vest and following my dog around in the field. (laughs) And that was the end of that relationship uh, was right there. And like, it's always just kind of come down to that for me where, um, you know, and my mom and dad got a divorce when I was 10. Mm -hmm. Um, it was not a bad divorce. It was amicable, you know, whatever. Um, my dad moved to Fargo, started a construction company. My mom stayed in in Minot where I was very happy to be. Um, and it was just always kind of one of those things where it's like, you know, I see people, it's not that I'm a hundred percent, I'm not certainly not against relationships. I just knew that I'd never wanted to get married and I didn't want kids. Mm -hmm. And it was just mainly because I want to have as much fun as I possibly can. And I'm not saying you can't do that with kids because you certainly can. Travis is a great example of it's doing different. it.
0: It is different. right? There's a, oh, yeah. Anybody who says it's not different, it, they're full of it. Right. It, it is different. You absolutely if you make that choice to have kids, it you have to sacrifice aspects of your life, your time, your money, et cetera. And this is exactly what my wife, when she was 16, I mean, I have kids from my first marriage. She has no kids. And when she was 16, it was that same thing. She was just like, I don't want to be responsible for someone else. I want to be responsible only for me so I can pursue whatever I want to pursue, do whatever I want with my money and my free time. Yeah. Yeah.
2: And, you know, and the problem is, is that people make the choice to have kids when they're most of the time when they're younger and they're not necessarily using their brains to think about things analytically. Right. Like they're thinking, well, you know, this is what you do. This is what you do. Yeah. You you graduate from high school, you go to college, you graduate from college, you get married, you have a family. Buy a house. And then you work for the next 35 years and on the weekends, Instead of going out and doing what you want to do, you go to soccer games or t-ball games or a ballet recital or whatever. And I just knew that I never wanted to do that because I wanted to have as much fun as I possibly could. And I wanted to live the life that I wanted to live. And it wasn't that. Yeah, uh, you know, yeah. and I mean, I'm, <laughs> I'm 100. it's <Brandon's a>, clapping <laughs> silently in the back. I'm 100 yeah. percent. okay with, yeah. you know, and especially now that I have the podcast and I don't have to work the mail routes as much anymore, I have the the freedom of time. Like I have endless amounts yeah. of time, so I will take a day off from hunting season to go to my niece and nephew's birthday parties or whatever. There's nothing wrong with that. However. Doing that every single day for 18 years or 12 years or 15 years or however, I mean, you're certainly very responsible for them until they're at least 12 or 15. Like, I mean, where you have zero choice in what you're going to do with your day because you have to make sure that they survive to day two. Yes. Right. It's true. And, uh, I can't do that. I, I, I mean, my dogs, if. Uh, if I take off and I go to the lake and I don't take my dogs with or whatever, I can put them in a kennel and they're very happy to see me. Adult protective services would rightly take children away from (laughs) me if I did the same thing. (laughs) And so, uh, you know, and it was just like, I knew that right away when I was, when I was young, when I was 16, 17 years old, I seen, you know. More power to everybody who wants yeah. to have a big family. And there's people like Travis who are masters of balancing everything. And he's very, very happy to do so. That's just not my personality. It was never going to be my personality. And I thought that it would be unfair if I did have kids to always sort of resent them for, yeah. for thinking yeah. that they're like sucking all the fun out of my life, right. which kind of they would be. Yeah. And, but it was not to do with them. It's 100% to do with me.
0: And so I, mean, I, just, I just made the analytical I, decision. I just say, as somebody with kids, I say kudos to you and to Brandon, who's nodding in the <laughs> background <you>. and cheering <laughs> and jumping up and down, giving fist bumps um, to both to both you guys. That's it takes a great deal of maturity to see that, especially when it's countercultural. Frankly, it's counter evolutionary. Sure, you know, like hundred percent of like we wouldn't be here as a species if people weren't procreating. <laughs> right. and like everybody was procreating right. back in the day. We, you and I wouldn't be sitting here, but. It, we live in a different world now where people really do have more choice in that matter. And, of course, there have always been childless people. Sure. Um, but not so much childless by choice. Um, so to, and, I, you know, dying words from your grandpa, sure. that leaves quite an impression, too. <laughs> I made the decision before that, though. <laughs> okay. Yeah, okay. I was like
2: 14, 15, 16. Oh, okay. And, like, I told my aunt, uh, she reminds me all the time, uh, my mom's sister. When I was eight, she asked me what I wanted to be when I grew up. And I told her that I wanted to be on TV as a hunter and fisherman. And she's like, I don't know how you figured it out, but you're on TV sometimes. And you're on a podcast and all that. I was like, yeah, I don't know how I figured it out either. But it's like I had a single driver in my life Mm -hmm. and it was always that. Mm -hmm. And trying to figure out, like I went through my whole 20s trying to figure out how to work the least amount that I possibly could to pay my bills so I could spend the most amount of time doing what I wanted to do. And now I just got it nailed. I mean, like, there's yeah. no way that I could possibly do better at figuring out how to have more time and still be able to pay my bills and now buy a, a new boat <laughs> yeah, uh, that's than, awesome. than what I did. But it was yeah. always been every, the main driver of my life. And a truck with dealer plates. And a truck with dealer plates. That's and if you don't have idea. to pay, if you don't have to pay for tolls in Chicago, you can buy a nicer boat.
0: That's true. That's what I did. I mean, think about that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, before we go, what? what do you look forward to you you i mean you got it dialed in you you do you go all the places you want to go but there still must be some stuff you want to try you have not yeah. places you want to go that you haven't yet been um you know what in the in the 23 24 hunting season what is it you're most looking forward to
2: so last year was an insane year for me uh i started planning a trip to drive to alaska um, we started planning it in January, uh, cause I wanted to go up and hunt ptarmigan. They were one of the few species in the country that I hadn't hunted. And so that's what basically my entire 2022 year was built around was planning execution, doing this. Like I took off from my place, July 25th, uh, flew to Michigan, drove back with my buddy who was crazy enough to make the whole trip with me. We packed up. We were gone for seven weeks uh, on the road to Alaska, back through uh, Oregon to hunt mountain quail, Idaho, Montana. Got back to my day, my place a day before upland season opened in North Dakota. Oh, my gosh. Uh, that was the start of my year. So this year, I'm actually really looking forward to having a summer that I can just kind of take a little bit of a breath. Like I'm going to spend most of my summer at home fishing, camping, hanging out with my dogs, my friends, my family. And then, uh, I'm, I might do some stuff in Montana in early September, but I'm going to stay in North Dakota all of September, hmm. October, and most of November. And then the Sunday after Thanksgiving, uh, me and two of my friends are going to take off. We're going to go to Ohio, uh, Ohio, not Ohio, not sorry, Ohio. Yeah. Uh, there's nothing that I want to hunt in Ohio. Um, but, uh, <laughs> we're going to go to Idaho. And, uh, the last two, um, upland bird species in North America that that I haven't hunted yet are chuckers and valley quail. And so we're going to go over there and we're going to hunt, uh, those two species, uh, the last couple days of November, first few days of December. And then I'm going to start working my way South down to Arizona. So probably going to hunt Nevada or Utah, one or the other and chase chuckers there with some friends as well, and then continue on down to Arizona. So it's going to be, this year is just kind of a
0: little easier pace
2: going back to, You know, and that's what that trip to Alaska really helped me, uh, realize was I'm really happy that I did it. Uh, but it also reinforced a thought that I already had in my brain as to this, there are certain species of birds that I'm really drawn to. And then there's other ones that I'm like, I don't know where the checklist of all the game bird species came from. Uh, but I wanted to kind of work my way through it just because I wanted all the experiences of the different species in all the places. Yeah. Um, now, uh, I don't want to go back there and do that again. <laughs> uh, I'll go back to Alaska. I'm not driving again. Yeah. I'm not yeah. taking my dogs. I'm not going to take a seven week trip. Um, but the Mern squirrel in Arizona, Huns in North Dakota, blue grouse in Montana, uh, one short weekend of rough grouse hunting in Minnesota or Michigan, Those are, and then Bob White's in Kansas, like those are the birds that I really enjoy chasing and the places that I like chasing them in. And I'm just going to kind of take a little bit of a step back and just kind of go back to the birds that I really have a deep passion for, uh, other than that trip, um, Mm. which is going to be towards the end of the year. So I'm Mm -hmm. just going to kind of enjoy the normal normalcy the, of, of the early parts of the year and enjoy the nice parts of the weather in North Dakota that time of the year. Yeah. And then I'll just take off when it starts to get crappy.
0: <laughs> Man, that sounds awesome. Time. No, I love yeah. it. I love that that you did that Gonzo, Alaska trip. Yeah. But you're going to appreciate, it sounds like, you're going to appreciate kind of your home territory that much more because of that. Definitely. Because you did that. That's, 100%. That's amazing. You know, you know? it's...
2: it The... The thing that I learned is that there's a common thread in the birds that i'm really drawn to uh They provide for excellent dog work mm-hmm. uh Parmigan in Alaska don't you could hunt them with a chihuahua they're <laughs> idiots they're yeah. they're dumb i mean you i had to th- i that hat I was throwing it at them, trying to get them off to the flesh, ground yeah. to fly yeah. And then my buddy Hank Shaw finally got tired of it and just shot one on the ground. And then the rest of them all walked over and started picking at their dead friend. They're that dumb. (laughs) I was like, so that, right there, I'm out. The other thing that it did have components of things that I like. It had incredible scenery and beautiful country and this adventure. But the birds, um, and I'm not taking anything away from the people that really like to chase Tarmigan. I know a couple of them. But the reason that they really like to chase ptarmigan is because they live in Alaska and there's nothing else to chase. I mean, as far as birds go. Mm-hmm. I mean, when you walk up on a dog that's locked up in a stubble field and the covey of huns takes off, it's a heart-stopping moment. Yes. But a covey of bobwhites in Kansas coming out of a, a milo thicket or whatever, or a plum thicket, or mern's quail down in, in Arizona, or a big blue grouse coming up out of a tree next to your head they all have beauty in the, in the place, mm-hmm. but those species are challenging on the wing there. They, they, pro- they provide moments for incredible dog work and they, and they include, uh, um, beautiful places. And like all mm-hmm. those components are all kind of in those. And same thing with the rough grouse in the Northwoods. Um, I can see beauty in a lot of different places, but there's certain things, aspects of different birds that make me more drawn to them. Mm -hmm. Something that's challenging on the wing, something that's explosive and something that makes my dogs uh, pay attention to what they're doing and actually hunt. Um, And that's what I want to get back to.
0: Mm. Awesome. Well, I really appreciate it. Thanks for coming on and, and kudos to you on your awesome podcast and and, frankly on, Like setting up your life, (laughs) you know, like a lot of guys complain a lot. A lot of guys complain a lot that they don't get to hunt as much as they want or last season wasn't that good. And you're just like, you've set it up, man. It's,
2: you know, it's it's all impressive. It it really is. I just kind of faked it until I made it. I mean, like I, I knew what I wanted to do. And if you go through life with the philosophy of how do I make the most amount of money with doing the least amount of work so I can spend all that money on one thing, you will figure out the steps no, to get there. But uh, it's, not, it's, not a, it's not a life path that's for everybody for sure. But, uh, you know, that's what I always wanted. And you just kind of got to make it happen. a boy. Yeah. That's awesome. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, Torrance.